Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Visitor's Bullpen. I'm Matt Wyrick alongside my host, Kevin Haswell. Kevin, with the MLB draft underway, baseball, it's at an all-time high right now. You've got it at 24-7. How are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling great. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people watch the Major League Baseball draft with the NBA Finals the same night, but uh, there's one there's one guy we're going to talk about today that I'm excited uh, on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So, um, Matt, how are you feeling? Pretty good. You know, Nat's struggling a little bit lately with that bullpen issues, so... That's been a bit of a struggle uh, to watch, but I'm sure as a Phillies fan, you're feeling a whole lot worse. So I guess sitting on top of the NL East pretty well right now. Can't be too disappointed. Yeah, definitely got to fix the bullpen, though. Oh, for sure. All right, well, we'll move into our first topic. And as you mentioned, Hunter Green drafted number two overall by the Cincinnati Reds, but passed by the Twins for that first overall pick. He would have been the first right-handed pitcher out of high school selected number one in MLB history, but that drought lives on as he went to number two. Kevin, why do you think the Twins messed up by passing on Hunter Green? I know the, the Twins definitely shied away from drafting Hunter Green because they're trying to save money for other picks. Also, it's, it's risky to pick the right-handed high school arm with your number one pick. You want to pick more of a sure talent, but... Uh, from what I've seen and from what I've read on Hunter Green, there, there's not a more sure prospect. Um, you know, out of Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, California, listed at 6'3", 195, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, like I said before, um, arguably one of the best prospects to come out of the Major League Draft since Bryce Harper. Um, on the mound, he touches up, up to 102, uh, and he, he plays a great shortstop. Lee Jenkins of Sports Illustrated actually said several scouts agreed that he is the best two-way amateur prospect they have ever seen. A first-round pick as a pitcher and a shortstop with uh, with comps to Noah Syndergaard on the mound and Alex Rodriguez in the field. You know, that's some high praise coming. Those are some uh, two of their best at their positions. Uh, in the field, he, was, he hit 324 with 28 RBIs in 30 games in his senior season. Uh, and then there was another thing on his scouting report I just wanted to talk about. He features a live fastball that sits 94 to 96 range and can top upper 90s. He backs that up with a quality breaking ball that is sharp. His changeup is this third pitch, but he has a good feel for it. Uh, and he has great command. So I, I understand what the Twins were doing with this move, uh, not picking him because they had two other picks in the second round, trying to save some money there. Uh, and Royce Lewis was not a bad pick, uh, known as one of the best are one of the best all-around athletes in the draft, but I don't know how you pass up Green. Uh, Matt, what are, you, what are you thinking on this? I actually agree with the Twins here for a couple of reasons. One, drafting any high school pitcher is a risky business. I mean, you've got, he's 17 years old. You really have no idea what he's going to be like in the next three, four, five years, which is how long it's going to take to develop him at, develop him at the least. So, that, that, for one, is a big red flag to me. Two, okay, you understand he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and he's got the numbers to show that he'd absolutely deserve to be there. But part of the reason, if you read that story, that he was on that cover was because a lot of scouts think that because of what kind of player he is, the way he carries himself, and the fact that he's of a minority, he could be the future face of baseball to take that Derek Jeter kind of role uh, in the future. So... Part of the reason he is so just talked about in general is because of his persona. And I think 
a lot of people have looked at the fact that, oh, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. He's got to be the next big thing. Yes, he is absolutely a one uh, home run draft pick for sure. Someone's going to take him in the top five picks. That's That was undisputed. But the way, the way the Twins did it, you know, picking Lewis, I can't argue with that at all. I mean, you, you look at Green, though. He's got three pitches, fastball in the 2080 scale is ranked at a 70 by MLB Baseball, by MLB.com, which 70 is absolutely outstanding. I mean, the highest is 80. That's a plus-plus pitch. It's topped out 101. But a slider's 55 and changeup is 50. Those are two good pitches, but they're not necessarily polished or elite pitches. And the slider itself, I mean, he, he throws two kinds of breaking balls that are similar, but it's said he's going to be working more on his slider. And then his changeup he throws rarely. So that's not even a pitch he throws enough to really say that he can, has a feel for it and could throw it against MLB hitters. I mean, obviously we're talking about a 17-year-old kid, but at the same time, He's definitely got a lot of work to do, and at 17 years old, I can't justify taking him number one. The the another reason they're probably hyping up hyping him up as much as they can is because they're we're in an age in baseball where everyone wants the, the the first person to play both in the field and play on the mound, and uh, him and Brennan McKay, a uh, great player out of Louisville, both have potential to play. Well, they have the talent to play on both both sides, but. Uh, it's just it's so difficult with the preparation you have to do on the mound and playing every day. I mean, the only person that I could see doing this is Brendan McKay because he plays first base. It's a lot easier. It's a lot less stressful, whereas Hunter Green would have to play shortstop. But the game of baseball is really looking for that that player that can do it, but that can play the field and pitch. And they're getting excited over Green, but I just I don't know if it's gonna it's not gonna happen. They draft him as a pitcher, so uh, we'll see. Yeah, well, the Twins have definitely been light on pitching these past few years, so you can understand why, or I'm sorry, the Reds have been light on pitching the past few years, so you can understand why they went with Green. Uh, moving forward, we're looking over at the MLB side of things, and we are talking the best outfields in baseball. Now, there's a couple teams up there that are in this conversation. You've got Boston, you've got Colorado, you've got Miami. Kevin, who's your pick? Uh, the Boston Red Sox. I mean, with Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Andrew Benintendi, I don't see a better outfield in baseball. Uh, kind of a down year for Betts, boasting a uh, 837 OPS, but currently slashing 276, uh, 360 on base, and a 477 slugging. Uh, just waiting for the power to come around with him. And then, I mean, also last year he was he was one of the best players in baseball, arguably the second best player behind Mike Trout. Then you have Jackie Bradley Jr., who broke onto the scene last year, made an all-star game, uh, struggling a little bit at the pit plate this year, but still with a 790 OPS and eight home runs. Um, and then you have one of the best up-and-coming outfielders in all of baseball with Andrew Benatendi. Uh, burst on the scene in, in the playoffs last year, coming up late in the season. Uh, he's got a 430 slugging percentage, nine home runs this year. Uh, I, I, I just don't see a better all-around uh outfield and baseball and the thing I haven't mentioned yet is the on the defensive side of the ball this outfield is outfield is just as good or even better with Jackie Bradley mm -hmm. Jr.'s range Mookie Betts is really a center fielder playing right field and then Ben Attendee is more than qualified to play left field at Fenway so uh, I, I don't know where Matt sits on this I know he didn't pick the Red Sox but uh, Matt what are you thinking? 
I respect the Red Sox pick and coming into the year, I probably would have agreed with you. But now that we're into June play, I absolutely have to go with the Marlins. I mean, you've got Yelich, who's struggling, has a 99 OPS plus. Okay, but then you look at Ozuna and Stanton, two guys who are absolutely tearing the cover off the ball this year. Ozuna, 152 OPS plus, Stanton, 147. That's an average of 133 OPS plus between the three of them. You want to know what the Red Sox average between their three? 109. That's almost twenty over 20% better of, than the average player the Marlins are than the Red Sox. I mean, Red Sox, yes, they've got younger guys. Their average age is 24, where the Marlins is 26. But Marlins have four all-star selections, one gold glove, two silver sluggers, and a, a top two MVP finish between the three of them. Red Sox have two less all-star selections, a gold glove, one less silver slugger, and the same number of top two MVP finishes. But you, you look at this team right now, and you've got... Ben Attendee versus Yelich. Okay, those two have been easily comparable to start this year. Yelich, I mean, if you told me at the beginning of the year that Ben Attendee was hitting about the same as Yelich, I probably would have expected him to be leading the Rookie of the Year race right now. But it's actually been Yelich who's taken a step backward and Ben Attendee who's been playing about league average. So those two are playing about the same. But then Bradley and Betts. Betts is playing a little bit better than Bradley, but at the same time, you've got Ozuna and Stanton just absolutely leagues above them right now and it for me it's an easy pick you've got to go with Miami it's the only bright spot on that team honestly yeah but the, the I know you you love the stats this year and I'm looking over the last couple of seasons especially last year uh you know the Marlins easy pick I like Ozuna he, he's he had a great year he's probably one of the most underrated outfielders in all of baseball no one's really giving him love and then you got John Carlos Stanton most power Maybe with Aaron Judge, it's close with most power in the major leagues. And then uh, Yelich is just a great all-around. But they just don't have – defensively, I don't think they have as much as the Red Sox. I mean, I didn't look at the numbers defensively, but I know Jackie Bradley Jr. is a better center fielder than Marcelo Zuna defensively. Oh, I mean, they're both good outfields. And, I mean, you look at the Red Sox who are – right now they're just – I don't know, competing in the American League while the Marlins are floundering, if you will, in the National League. But, I mean, you, John Carlos Stanton's the highest paid player, in base, paid player in baseball. You can't discredit that, and it's for a reason. This guy hits 500-foot home runs on a weekly basis. So I look at the star power. Christian Yelich is a guy you can build your team around. John Carlos Stanton, his numbers speak for himself, and Ozuna is probably one of the most underrated players in baseball, in my opinion, and absolutely deserving an all-star selection this year um you look at the red sox though Betts obviously mvp candidate no question about it but after that ben attendee's a rookie who still has to prove himself he's playing league average baseball right now at the plate you you can't really project that he's going to be he is better because he hasn't been so far and um bradley is so streaky you know he's been battling injuries this year He's kind of gone back and forth. He had that big hit streak last year, but then kind of fell off afterwards. So overall, I think if you're talking about the past few years, I mean, you've got to look at the history that the Marlins players have versus the Red Sox, and it's it easily stands out as the Marlins. I mean, our final main topic today is rebuilding teams. Now, as National League fans, Kevin, I don't know if you're partial to the National League, but um, we see a lot of... The NL East, which Kevin can tell you all about the Phillies rebuilding process, but we have the NL Central, who the Reds were supposed to be rebuilding, but are actually competing right now, and then the Padres and stuff like that, where 
over half the teams in the NL right now are rebuilding. So, Kevin, do you think that's something that's good for baseball? Is it maybe it isn't good for baseball, but it's it's something that should happen anyway? What do you think? Uh, I think rebuilding is great for the game of baseball. As you can see, over the last couple of years, we've had some teams that have rebuilt and rebuilt and been contenders in the playoffs. For example, I know I know everyone wants to look at the Cubs with the great rebuild, but with these rebuilds, they just take a team from the bottom of a pack and they take them to the top. And like with the with the Yankees, for example, they decided last year they were struggling. They were deciding to do a slight rebuild. And look at them now. They're one of the best teams in baseball. They're ahead of schedule with a lot of their players like Aaron Judge. Um, so now it's it's almost like you – I'm a fit, more of a fan of stocking the farm system. I'm not sure if I'm a fan of rebuilding because I feel like we're at an age where some of the most unsuccessful teams in the game of baseball are the ones that don't have a stock farm system because they don't have anywhere to go. They they can't bring people up from the minor leagues and they don't have assets to trade for for veterans or star players. So, for example, like the Red Sox, they had a stack farm system go out and get Chris Sale. Um, there's been the Nationals, you know, stack farm system, go out and get Adam Eaton this offseason. Uh, but I, I, I'm I, a fan of stacking the farm system but I and, and keeping that healthy while being a good team. But I'm not sure, for example, with the Phillies, over the last couple of years, they've been in a rebuild, but they've gotten to the point where they're kind of stuck in the middle because they're, some of their prospects aren't panning out. And so they're kind of stuck in this circle where they don't have any talent to trade to other teams to really get the top prospects to rebuild. And when they did, they traded Cole Hamels and they got some prospects, but they just don't have enough elite talent in their, in their farm system right now. And they're kind of stuck in the middle. So, I mean... Rebuilds are great when they go well, but when they don't go well, Matt, what, what are you thinking on this? Well, I think that baseball of any sport is the most well-equipped to absorb rebuilding teams. I mean, you look at this, okay? In any other elite sport, you can trade draft picks, and teams will all the time. But a lot of, sometimes they pan out great, and it, it works out for both teams, but other times some teams just get destroyed. And, I mean, you, you look at right now, the Boston Celtics and Brooklyn Nets trade, right? Where Boston all, like made it to the Eastern Conference Finals this year, and they're picking first overall next year because of that trade with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, they just got totally destroyed by it, and now Nets are one of the worst teams in basketball, and they're paying the price for it. You look at how the Rams trade, or the Redskins, sorry, traded for RG3 from the Rams, uh, traded up in the draft for the Rams draft pick, picked RG3, RG3 had one good season and then didn't pan out, and the Redskins sat around in no man's land around 8-8 eight and eight and had to give up all these first-round picks, and it took them forever to get back to where they are. So, And even then, that's not really that good. So I think that baseball, if anything, there's no lottery. You know, you, if, you're, if you have the worst record in baseball, you're going to pick first. And uh, there's a lot of just stock in general in you know, you have to develop these players yourself. And in, in the NBA and NFL, obviously, there's you've got to teach your players how to play, and that's I'm not discrediting that in any way. But in baseball, you have to develop these guys. These are kids that you're drafting at 17 years old that you have to turn into professional baseball players. Your system, 
So it's up to the teams themselves, not only to get these players in the draft, but to develop them. And I think that Major League Baseball can take their hands off of it, you know, wipe them clean, because it's not up to them to make sure that these players perform. It's up to the teams themselves. And so I don't think baseball can be at fault for, you know, teams doing that, if that's, that's what they want to do. Like the Astros had three straight number one picks. Uh, got Carlos Correa out of there. I mean, I don't know. I can't discredit that. I think that that's if you want to lose, you want to lose. It's, uh, down the line, you're, you're, it's going to pan out for you in the end. I mean, if you pick the players right. Yeah, uh, I mean, it. There's a lot of examples where it does pan out, but there's a lot, a lot of examples where they don't. For example, like the Washington Nationals worked out for them as well. You know really bad for, what, seven to eight years, and over that time they got uh, two number one lock picks with Harper and Strasburg, uh, can't miss prospects. But if we're at a time now where not every prospect that's number one, like for instance in this draft, sure, you could probably say Hunter Green was by far the best prospect in the draft. I mean, some people might say that. But then again, there wasn't, obviously there wasn't a lock for the number one pick which means there's not like a, a for sure guy that's going to like I was looking at it the other day and there, the percentage rate of first round picks that go into the major leagues is like somewhere in the 60% range. So even if you tank over three years, say you get unlucky and three straight first round picks don't pan out, then you're just, you're stuck. And there's a lot of major league teams that have been stuck like that. Uh, for instance, like the Padres, the Padres are, are doing a nice nice turnaround. They got some nice prospects, but you know, they keep losing and there's really I mean, I haven't looked at their farm system lately, but I don't know how stacked it is. But they're just they they're another team like the Phillies that kind of they look like they're stuck. Um but re, rebuilding's a little different in baseball with the fact that yeah, people don't they don't trade draft picks and it's just it's a lot different. Yeah, no, I mean, I support, just as, like, I support a player's right to go to whatever team they want to in free agency, I support a team's right to manage it how they please. I mean, obviously, they're not intentionally running anything into the ground, but you look at how the Houston Astros and Nationals and Cubs last year just absolutely tore it up and are tearing it up, and, you know, how can you argue with that? They've got, you've looked at the Nationals now, they've been, they lead the, Major League Baseball in wins since the start of the 2012 season when they first started contending. That's that's no small feat, and they had to go through so many years of futility to get there, and they've had five years of sustained success, and they should at least have another before Bryce Harper and a couple other players hit free agency. So, I, you know, you got to lose to win. That That's just kind of how it works in sports. That You're going to have the anomalies like the Patriots and uh, Giants, even, even the who win for a long time. But even those Giants, you know, they had two seasons where they didn't make the playoffs in between those three of the five years where they won the World Series. So, I don't know. I, I can't argue with the team wanting to do that. It clearly works out for some and not for others. Um, and if it doesn't work out, you're going to be even farther in the hole. But, you know, for every year you have a bad record, you have a higher draft pick. So, I can't argue with that methodology at all. Stuff happening around baseball, though. Cubs... Not really playing like the Cubs that we thought they would be. I mean, it's June and they're still, you know, sitting there around 500. Kevin, what's going wrong with them? Do you know? 
I think it's just a hangover from from the World Series. I mean, a lot of people have been saying that lately. I've been watching a lot of MLB Network. They've been talking about it. Uh, that they, they just have guys that they don't. The one thing they are missing is a leadoff hitter. I know they've been throwing Ian Happ into that leadoff role, and I'm not sure how he's been doing. But Kyle Schwarber was struggling struggling the first half of the season. The rotation's not quite the same as last year. Kyle Hendricks, while he's pitching right around average this year, he was a Cy Young candidate last year. Uh, John Lackey, it seems like age is catching up to him. Arietta hasn't been as good as he was like two years ago when he was a Cy Young candidate. Um, Lester's Lester's been solid, but they just don't have the as good of an all-around team as they did last year. Everyone was clicking on all cylinders last year, um, and they, they, they seemed unbeatable. But this year, they, they seem like a very beatable team in the National League, and it's catching up to them. They play in a... A tough division with you know the Pirates, you know sticking right around 500, a little bit below, and then you got the Cardinals. They're still trying to figure some things out, but if they figure it out, they got some some good uh, talent down there with their rotation and everything. So I don't know. I, I still think that I still at the end of the day, I think the Cubs will will come around and win that division. But um, yeah, they're 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 talented. They're just not living up to expectations this year. I will not. I won't deny that the Cubs are probably a team that are going to be good for a long time. They've got such a young core, especially of hitters, that they're they're not they're going to be around until at least twenty twenty, and that's no question. But you look at the pitching staff, and last year they really just had a bunch of career years. I mean, John Lackey's now thirty eight. You know, you can't expect him to remain as consistently above average as he's been over the past few years this late into his career. There's going to be a point where he declines and. Right now, he's got an over 5 ERA, so right now, here's where he's starting to decline. I mean, at least from my standpoint, from what I've seen. You look at Kyle Hendricks, who came out of nowhere. Well, I guess he wouldn't say nowhere, but, you know, he wasn't expected to be as dominant as he was leading the league in ERA, and here he has his career year. You're going to expect some aggression. Arietta's been declining for two years now. I mean, he had that amazing second half, but that was really the only pure, you know, dominance that he was showing he, he had a pretty above average first half of that season two years ago but at the same time it wasn't Cy Young worthy he wasn't dominating the conversation like he was at the end of the season so they lose um Arietta's talent down the road you've got Kendricks coming off that career year and Lackey just getting older and you can see why that they'd be losing so much you take Dexter Fowler's presence out of the top of the lineup and you see how it starts to crumble beneath him I mean you have one player with over 900 OPS right now, and that's Bryant. And he's only hitting 268 entering play on Tuesday. I mean, that's that's worrisome. You, you've got people talking about sending um, Schwarber down to the minors. That's worrisome too. And this might be, yes, a very talented team that's in a bump in the road. But this is June, and of the players who have played the most games at each of their positions, catcher through uh, all the positions on defense, only two have an OPS plus above 100, and that's Rizzo and Bryant. I mean, that's that's not that's pretty worrisome to me. And I honestly, with no one running away in the NL Central, I still can see them making a run and securing a postseason spot. But honestly, my bet would be on the Cardinals right now of all those teams. Yeah, I mean, another difference from from last year was their bullpen was was ridiculous. They had guys that could come from all different angles, right or left. They had Chapman towards the end of the year coming out of the back end. 
Uh, Rondone was 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 great as a setup man, and I think his ERA is like four and a half this year. So uh, the bullpen hasn't helped them, hasn't done them any favors other than Wade Davis this year, uh, comparatively to last year. I I think I I like what you said when uh, the rotate when you said the rotation. Uh, the rotation had a lot of guys that kind of overperformed. No one really expected John Lackey to have that great of a year at the age he was at. He's he's a solid guy. He'll get you innings, but no one expected the year he had last year. Mm-hmm. And then Arietta, you know, he was with the Orioles, wasn't pitching well, traded him over to the Cubs, and he turns into somehow one of the best pitchers in baseball. But he's kind of regressed over the last two years from where he was that year. Um, yeah, I I agree with what you're saying. There. There's not really a team in the NL Central other than the Cardinals. The Brewers won't sustain where they're at. Um, Eric Thames has already slowed down. They, certain guys in their lineup just not hitting as well as they were. But the Cubs are going to win that division. That, that if, if I had to put money on it, that's what, that's what I would say. It's funny that a couple of years ago, the NL Central was considered baseball's premier division. I mean, you had the up-and-coming Cubs. You had the Pirates, who had Andrew McCutcheon playing like an MVP. You had the Cardinals, who never seemed to miss the playoffs. Um, and then the Brewers were competitive, and they kept things interesting. And even the Reds, when Cueto was on the team for a few years, I mean, they Jay were pretty Bruce. good. Joey Votto playing, I mean, like he is now, but was a supporting cast. I mean, this this was a good division, top to bottom. And now, it's probably, aside from the NL East, one of the most disappointing divisions in baseball. Now it's, I say, power shift over to the West. You've got the NL West with Colorado, with uh, Arizona, and Los Angeles. That's honestly, I think, the best division in baseball by a wide margin. Well, yeah, and then you even look over in the NL East, and there's one team above 500, and they have one of the best records in baseball, or up there. Behind, I mean, everyone's behind the Astros, but... Uh, the the Nationals are looking great other than the bullpen. And then you look at, you know, the Mets with all the injury problems. The Braves aren't ready to contend yet. The Phillies aren't. And then the Marlins are just, you know, they they were there last year. They were close. They were right around the wild card mid to late season, and, and they fell apart. And this season they haven't picked it up even now. Like Matt said, they have one of the best outfields in baseball. Um, but, yeah, that National League West is is, is crazy with the, with the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. And then you got the Dodgers, the Giants. There's no slouches except except the Padres. But um, yeah, that's got to be the best division in baseball, easily, and one of the most exciting to watch. You've got a lot of good names over there. That's some that you probably don't hear about as much, and like Charlie Blackman and Paul Goldschmidt, names that you know since they aren't as big a stage, you're probably not seeing their names circulated as much. But they're playing like MVP candidates right now, and they're definitely up there with the likes of Harper and Zimmerman and anyone else who's been playing as well as they have. So that's definitely going to be something to watch as the rest of the season goes on. Matt, I don't know what you think about this, but do you think the Giants are going to turn around this year? I, I know they are they're they started off really bad, like 15 games below 500, and then they kind of they had a good little streak, and then they're back to playing very poorly. Um, this is a team that's got a lot of talent, but – the Madison Bumgarner injury is definitely hurting them. Uh, Cueto not pitching the same. Uh, Jeff Samarja not pitching the same. Where where do you see the Giants? Are they are they done? They cooked. I mean, this is a team with a light hitting lineup and a rotation that has depended on consistency. 
especially at the top. And without Madison Bumgarner, that's been impossible to sustain. Now, Samarja, you, you knew he wasn't going to be, you know, the Samarja of old. He, he hasn't pitched like it in a while now. So uh, you, you knew what to expect out of him. But Cueto, not pitching as well, has definitely hurt. Um, they have had a little bit of resurgence from Matt Cain, who's figuring out how to pitch without that increased velocity. So you've liked what you've seen out of him. But at the same time, with how poorly this offense is able to hit around Buster Posey, with how inconsistent the bullpen is aside from Mark Melanson. Melanson, who even himself hasn't been super consistent this year, um, and with how tough the NL West is in general, I just don't see the Giants making any kind of run this year. And I see them cutting their losses and making a couple trades by the trade deadline just to capitalize on this down year. I, I could definitely see like a, a Cueto deal. I know he has the, the option after this season. Uh, I, I also wouldn't put it past the Giants to to look into options with Bumgarner because he's he's what one more year of control and then he's a free agent so uh yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't count anyone out there in San Francisco with the way they're playing we shall see we shall see well we're approaching that 30 minute mark so I think it's about time to sign off thank you everyone for joining us again today as we said i'm matt wyrick this is kevin haswell thank you for joining us on the visitors bullpen be sure to follow us on twitter and give us a like on facebook you find us every week 9 a.m on wednesdays on soundcloud thank you again guys for joining us thanks guys